This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to Season 6 of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Hey, everybody. It's Jay Bear, founder of Convince and Convert. Now, we're going to keep the party rolling here on the big episode 300 reunion tour with our friend Shama Hyder, who is going to pop up here on the screen just like magic. There she Look is. That. Ms. Hyder, Hi. how are you? How's it Facebook going? magic. Thanks for having me. This is fun. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's been a really busy start to 2018, but that is not me complaining. So I'm <laughs> curious. We had you on the show. Was it, I think, episode 259? So not that long ago, but still in internet years or social years, you multiply by seven. So still a pretty <laughs> significant amount of time. I'm curious kind of what your thoughts are on what being a connected consumer and what reaching a connected consumer means to you today in 2018 that may have been different even from when we talked to you last in, in 2017? What, what things are you seeing? What trends are you seeing? What platforms or channels or devices are you seeing that's different than just, just a couple months ago? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the shifts happened really over 18 months, I would say. That's where I've seen a real spike and definitely more now than ever before. And so I think for the longest time, you know, um, folks like us have been waving the flag of marketing is not a band-aid for a bullet hole. Right? That whole experience has to make sense. So digital customer service, really digital anything, marketing, influence marketing, um, all of this has to play together. And so let's say that you are a retail shop or you have a retail shop or you are a retailer, right? I think now businesses are getting to the point where they realize, okay, so my online can't really be disconnected from the offline. And I know that seems simplistic as I say it, but it's really not, right? Because I feel like for the longest time, social and digital had to sort of prove itself to say, right. hey, you know, like here's the, it's real, it's here to say, stay. The internet is, you know, not a fad, <laughs> that sort of thing. We, we were still sitting at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so I think now that that's been sort of, yeah, okay, this is legit. This is, this is here to stay. This isn't changing. I think now businesses, brands are looking around and saying, okay, so if this is here to stay, what does that look like for my overall business, right? What is What does that really mean? And so I'll give you just a couple of examples of, of different projects, like just broad things. For example, we had a um, e-commerce store from uh, Brazil reach out to us and they said, you know, we really want to build a physical store for to match the e-commerce so people can ex- experience that brand and then we want to franchise it. And I was like, that sounds great. So I think businesses are thinking and brands are thinking about not those physical and digital lines really, really blurring. 
which is why when so many people said, Shema, you're like in the digital world, why would you start a company that's like in the, in the physical space, in the more traditional space? Because I said, you know, I think that space is going to be really reimagined and re-envisioned in the coming years. So that's what's exciting to me about that. Uh, it, it has to be, right? It used to go the other way around, right? That that physical was influenced by digital and now digital is being influenced by physical because if you still exist in the physical environment, you have to up your game considerably. You just saw Amazon roll out uh, the no-checkout no door this week, and you think about what that means for retail. And I think it's fascinating to see just in the last six to 12 months how effective Instagram has become as, mm -hmm. as a retail front end as well. So you start oh, absolutely. it's going to be seamless between what happens on screen and what happens in the real world. Yeah, and that's really the key word, right? You hit it right on the head, Adam, which is it's seamless. And so I think the future belongs to companies and people within brands, within agencies, you name it, to really be able to connect those dots, right? to give that connected consumer seamless experience. And so when we talk about that connected consumer, I think we talk also about just how us, all of us, you know, we put our marketing branding hats on, but then we're also consumers. Um, our expectations are so dramatically different, right? In that they Salesforce actually released a white paper recently, which I thought was was fascinating. And they found things like, you know, 80% of people expect a brand to respond to a customer service query within six hours. Mm -hmm. And that was not the expectation or the norm a while ago, right? So, but that is the norm now. Um, they looked at both B2B and B2C. Even B2B companies don't want to be treated as you know, the organization, they more so than ever want to be treated in a personalized human manner. So I think it's really interesting as more high tech we get, the expectation is that you have the high touch to match that high tech. And I think that is a very, very different thing than we've seen in the past. Yeah, you're right about the B2B versus B2C uh, balance as well. It wasn't that long ago that consumers even connected consumers would treat expectations differently based on category or industry. People would think, well, that's pretty responsive customer service for a manufacturing plant or for a mm -hmm. bank. And that doesn't really happen anymore. Customer expectations are liquid. Increasingly, people think, well, if this company can deliver it, why can't your company delivered. I don't really care what kind of company you are or what industry you operate in. Why can't you be faster? Why can't you be uh, more responsive? Why can't you deliver a great customer experience? And so we've been talking to clients about that a lot, that it's not about what your competitors It's the fact that the greatest companies in the world are training your customers what is table stakes. And lots of brands are not ready to jump into that deep water. Yeah, and so they might have to wade their wade their toe in, you know. But I think they they'll realize very quickly that market share belongs to those who get it. And you're so right in that. Let's say you have a B two B buyer, right? And you sell, I don't know, tech software, and you think, well, I've got a really small group of audience, and none of you know we're so cutting edge compared to the rest of our competitors. But your customers aren't even comparing you to the rest of your competitors in the industry. They're saying. Hey, we've got, you know, I just seamlessly had Amazon Prime deliver my order same day I had drone. Right. I just went out and checked out these reviews and you know, just everything in their world works so 
well so seamlessly when they come to you they're not looking at that in a silo saying oh well this is different this industry they're expecting that same level of experience that same level of seamlessness yeah. and that experience matters so much more today than ever before i mean you think about what like skittles is doing which i thought was really interesting rather than like their super bowl ad they're releasing it to one viewer did you guys hear about this no no yeah, so Skittles is, is spending apparently the same amount of money they always have on a Super Bowl ad, but they're only going to let one, like they've chosen this one teenage fan who's going to watch the ad, and then they're going to live stream his reaction to the ad, and that's it. That is their ad. I and love so, it. that's <laughs> it's interesting because, well, it's like the zagging while everyone's zigging, right? Yeah, or, it's or really smart. It's, it's funny about the changing expectations. I'm working on this new book right now with Daniel Lemon called Talk Triggers. And one of the talk triggers, uh, sort of word of mouth generators that we initially researched was Enterprise Rent-A-Car because they pick you up. Like we all know that that's been their slogan for a really long time. But we actually did some deep conversational research and found that nobody talks about that anymore because you know who else picks you up? Uber. <laughs> lift oh. everybody so if you, you can actually look at the history the conversational history is that picking you up was a big deal and now nobody cares at all well, and, well they owned yeah. it in their industry but they now that industry doesn't isn't as relevant yeah. yeah so you had this, this true operational differentiator that because of technology changes and customer experience shifts and customer expectation shifts it's now just like poof it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, Jay, I believe you to work with like Chase Business is one of our clients. Right. And what's fascinating is they're always looking at how to up their game for how they serve their customers, because there used to be a time where having like a mobile app for a bank was really cool. Like we have mobile banking. <laughs> it's like everyone now has mobile banking. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think as innovation, of course, gets some are cool becomes the norm. I mean, you think about even back to like toll-free numbers. I still remember when toll-free numbers were cool, right? Or if someone had a toll-free number, like, oh man, that's... I remember it went from 800 to 888 because we yeah. ran out of 800 numbers and it was like, yeah, oh, exactly. I don't know, this is pretty crazy. It was. And remember when people used to like love giving out their at MSN at Hotmail email addresses? I just... My <laughs> mom still has a Hotmail email address, so God bless her. Oh, so yeah, I mean, things, you're right. Like things change. And if companies don't evolve, if they're not looking ahead, they're getting behind. Awesome Thanks, to see you as always. Congrats on the success. Excited about the new roll-up brand also. And momentum on paperback, February 6th. Okay. Love you both. Bye -bye. You Thanks for being here. Thank you. Bye. All right. We're going to keep this party rolling, Mr. Brown. Well, it is rolling, rolling, rolling. Um, I love hearing I love hearing these stories and, and, and these insights. Um, I mean, again, how amazing this is all changing so so quickly. You know who never changes? Mark Schaefer. So, Mark Schaefer. I mean, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> is is consistent as he is consistent oh, as an old war horse. Mark, what you wrote a, a book recently called Known, which had a tremendous impact on so many. I'm going to uh, do it the great disservice of summarizing it as a personal branding book. It's so much more than that, but that's the easiest way to describe it. Given all the shifts in social media tools and tactics over the last six to 12 months, would you give people different advice 
uh, today than you would have a year ago in terms of how to actually build and propagate their personal brand in social? You know, that's, that's a great question, Jay. I would expect nothing less of you. <laughs> Usually Adam has the great questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I actually, I, I've thought about that uh, a lot. But, uh, you know, what I, my main thesis, I think, really of known is this idea of how, you know, in the past, brands were created through an accumulation of advertising impressions. And one of the cataclysmic things that we're seeing is the effectiveness of advertising is going down. It's going away. We're moving inexorably toward an advertising free world. And so my thesis is that in the future, brands will be built by an accumulation of human impressions, not just advertising. There'll be a place for advertising, but more and more we see in all the research how people wanna know what's going on at that company? Who are these people? What do they stand for? What do they do? How do they treat the world? And so I think that the main idea behind known is more relevant than ever. I think even the techniques in, in known are more relevant than ever because uh, I think, I believe with all my heart that in the end, the most human company will win, will win. And it doesn't matter what changes they throw at us. It doesn't matter what the next social network is gonna be. If we approach our businesses through this filter, how can we be more human in every interaction, every engagement, every connection, answering every question that we have? That's the filter we need to, to have no matter what changes are coming at us on the social web. I want to I kind of parse that a little bit further because I think that's a fascinating concept. And, and, and working at, at Salesforce, you know, I know that that concept is, is, is really core to our beliefs. Absolutely. Uh, fact, you you guys our, do a great job. Our CEO and founder, Mark Benioff at, at Davos uh, and the World Economic Forum this week, making some you know, really interesting statements around you know, companies putting profit you know, before you know, you know, culture and, uh, and, and both the culture of how you help your customers, how you help the world, and how you help your employees. I'm curious from your opinion, and this could be a question around both business branding as well as personal branding. Can you today be an effective brand by not being a social activist, by staying on the sidelines and not participating in these types of kind of activism type discussions? You know, I, I think time will tell. Um, I, I know Jay's written a lot about this, how brands are, are really being pulled into a place where they're forced to take a stand. Yeah, right or you know, left. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the other hand, sometimes you just want a hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just need a car wash. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of companies where we kind of maybe overthink things sometimes. I think if you look, if you're Salesforce, you're going to be pulled in these directions. If you're Coca-Cola, you're going to be pulled in these directions. But, uh, you know, most businesses today, I, I think are going to be okay. I think there's, there's going to be ways to navigate those waters that'll, that, that'll be okay. But it is increasingly a polarized world. And, uh, one of the beautiful things about social media, it's, it is elevating these conversations that, that need to be elevated. And I think it's, it's giving companies 
that, that have their, that, that are well-managed companies, that are ethical, humanistic companies. It gives them an opportunity to show what they're made of. Uh, it, 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 you know, you, it, you're being more of yourself at your best, and that's what's coming through on the web. So it's an opportunity for the best companies and the best brands. And uh, I think that's interesting and exciting. It's, it's, I don't think it's, it's, there's ever been a more fun time to be in marketing. Mark, thank you very much for being here. Thanks for taking the time to pop back in here on the 300th episode so of much. Reunion it's Week. A, yeah. Such an honor to be with you, and congratulations on just such a fine, fine, fine show. Thanks. We appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen, make sure you grab the Marketing Companion, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Thanks, my friend. See you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. See you, Mark. I am so delighted, overwhelmingly happy to welcome to Social Pros, Eric Boggs, who quite literally invented this whole thing. It was his idea, or at least on his watch when he was the CEO of Argyle Social. Eric is now the founder and CEO of Rev Boss. My friend, Mr. Boggs, it's great to see you. Welcome back to Social Pros. Greetings. As you look at kind of the, you know, the, the creation of, of your new company and everything you're doing at RevBoss, how are you approaching marketing and communications, social and not social, with notwithstanding, differently than, than a decade ago? Yeah, well, not quite a decade ago, although it seems like three, <laughs> or, four, three or four decades ago based on the brain damage and, and uh, war scars. Um, so for us, uh, we still use social media uh, data. Uh, as a data engine, honestly. So if we can find a snippet about a person and we can confirm that snippet based on something from LinkedIn, or for, as an example, we can find a person, if we can find a person's first name and last name and job title on LinkedIn, we can turn that into an email address uh, pretty easily uh, using software and cloud workers and you know a lot of kind of machine learning magic. And so for us, social media is still a, a key input in what we're doing but more as a data play as opposed to kind of a broadcast play. Mm -hmm. I think it's true for a lot of people. Mr. Box, thank you so much for being the genesis of this podcast, uh, for taking uh, a gamble on this so long ago on a lark. Uh, and here we are. We most definitely would not be here without you. Uh, you are exemplary on the 52. Let me check my, check my list here. The 52 shows that we did together. Uh, if Adam is ever is ever out sick, you could Wally pit him. You can get back in the chair. <laughs> well, give me a holler. I, you know, I still have opinions. They might not be as informed as they would have been a few years ago, but you know, that won't stop me from saying what I think. <laughs> I appreciate that. That it's makes great. a good podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Adam. See you later. Uh, Mr. Jeffrey. Speaking K. of train wrecks. Speaking of train wrecks. Our next guest. <laughs> Uh, embodies everything about that term. He is now uh, the chief marketing officer of Yext, uh, a publicly traded, dynamic, fast-growing powerhouse of a company. Uh, before that, he was also at Salesforce Marketing Cloud and was the co-host of this esteemed podcast. I'm, again, checking the database from episode 53 until episode 170. Jeff, tell us about Yext and, and what you guys are doing and sure. how are things are happening. So uh, 
Yaks in a nutshell, our, our mission is to help put perfect information uh, everywhere so that consumers are getting the right information about businesses in the moments that matter to them. Uh, and so in order to do that, we're trying to flip the model from a pull uh, to a push, meaning uh, our customers use our knowledge engine uh, and integrate directly in with the intelligence services today like Google, like Facebook, like Yelp, uh, the, the behind the scenes on, on Siri and Cortana and these services uh, to control the customer critical facts uh, that are most important uh, to customers as they look to discover a new restaurant or the store hours or if a doctor is accepting new patients or their insurance or the menu of uh, a particular restaurant and what allergens it might have. So um, it, it was a really neat move about two and a half years ago I made the move and it was because EX is really at that crossroads of uh, the rise of mobile. Uh, the rise of mobility and the rise of AI and voice search, just all of these new ways to interact and find information. And again, we just believe that uh, where we're headed is towards, you know, a perfect information state. And in order to get there, you've got to put the folks who know the information best in charge of it. And that's the business. What you guys are doing, Jeff, is so fascinating. I mean, as you said, the, the intersection of mobility, the intersection of mobile devices. I'm curious kind of what you're thinking and seeing around the world of AR, augmented reality. We know, you know, Apple with the new iOS is coming out here in just a, a week or two with, even with 11, but now 11.3 is considering, considerably investing more and more into augmented reality. Sure. How is that going to impact this whole geo mobile mobility world that, you know, you write at, at Yaxter at the Crossroads of? So you already see it in Google Lens, right? And, and really what it is, it's, it's, an, it's a UI. So with Google Lens, I can hold it up in the real world and Google is overlaying information about the businesses around me. And we like to say, you know, you can't control the, the UI of the intelligence services consumers are using. You can't control their AI, the artificial intelligence and algorithms they use to rank and, and elevate uh, things up to the top uh, for discovery by the consumer. But what you can control is the knowledge that they know about you. And that's now becoming a primary responsibility of the business. It's, it's, it's almost flipping content marketing on its head because content marketing, we're thinking about big con content to attract people. The smallest content in the world little factoids about your business consumers are looking for every single day and whether they're they're holding up a device or they're wearing glasses in the future or they've got an implant the accuracy of that information is going to be critical and it better come from the source yeah. is it yeah, mostly have, oh go ahead Jeff. i was just going to say jeff you and i have talked about this in the past that increasingly now when you use facebook yelp advisor you'll be asked by those intelligence services to confirm facts about the business. And I was actually talking to my, my daughter about this the other day. She's a freshman in college, and she was bemoaning the fact that she's getting asked to confirm, things like, you know, is this restaurant valid? She's like, I don't know. I'm 19. I don't have kids. Like, what do I know about that friendly? It's not even something I think about. But yet we're being asked to do the database work uh, for all the intelligence services. And are we the best source of truth? I, I would argue 
know uh, that the business itself is the best source of truth, and, and that's what Yext enables. Yeah, we, we agree wholeheartedly. I was at a, a dinner with some customers and prospects last night, and one of our customers was talking about the feedback loop we have because, as many of, of, of your viewers and listeners might know, when you, say, use uh, Google Maps and you accidentally shake it, you get this little message bar at the bottom that says, do you want to suggest an edit? Do you want to add a location? Um, and Google and Facebook and a lot of these services are trying to crowdsource information because the the lion's share of the world's businesses are not actively managing their digital knowledge. They're not actively using a YEX to control this. Um, and so they've got to get it from somewhere. But this customer is sharing with us the feedback loop where she gets to see those suggestions. She rejects 99.9% .9 of them. Wow. Uh, again, it's not because the consumer, the customer is ill-intentioned. It's just they might not know the exact information that's being asked of them. Uh, and as we all know, the accuracy of consumer suggestions probably goes down as the hours get later and later and the alcohol consumption gets higher. All right, now we're gonna get the real story of social proof. We got Eric. The real, this is the Barbara Walters this is uh, the real story. Of the uh, because now coming onto the program is the one, the only, the world famous author, executive producer of social pros and a number of other things, Ms. Jess Ostroff. Uh, the reason that Jess is here on this program is that she has produced all 300 episodes of this podcast, uh, as well as hundreds of episodes of our sister shows, The Content Experience and The Experience of This Show, uh, and also does a lot of other stuff that Convince to Convert and for a number of other people. So Jess, tell us, uh, we talked to Eric about this briefly a few minutes ago, how different the show is now than it was when we first started? <laughs> well, I think that I've been really impressed with how your interview skills have evolved and, and gotten amazing. And I mean, you were always a great interviewer because I know that you always wanted to be a talk show host. Uh, but I think that the show sure. has helped kind of elevate that profile for you, which is really great. Um, I've also seen, you know, over the years, different hosts have uh, different co-hosts, I should say, have different ways that they like to be communicated with and ways they like to be scheduled with. And um, the way we've sourced guests has changed. You know, I think in the beginning, it was sort of like fly by the seat of your pants. And uh, you were doing a lot of live shows, you know, wherever you went, you were kind of just like, I'm going to bring my microphone and we're going to do this in a hotel room. And um you know, the travel schedules and just the profile of all of it has has really gotten amazingly great. And uh, so you can't do that as much as you used to, but <laughs> it's still fun when we get those live shows like this, you know, this week doing these uh, Facebook lives has just been amazing because I think you get a different take into people and it's a little more casual. I, you know, I think that um, actually, you guys should just do video every time, <laughs> but maybe not do it live, you know, have it on some other platform. Cause I think there is something to be said for seeing your faces. I mean, Adam, like I never see you. I never, I know. you know, it's crazy. And I've never, I don't think I've met you in person either. I don't think we've met. It's always been virtual. I mean, much, yeah. much like yeah. your, uh, your book uh, talks a little bit about. Yeah, but it's, it's really cool. And I, I'm just, I'm so proud that it's worked out because when Jay asked me to produce this podcast, I didn't know how to produce a podcast. <laughs> Little known fact. It never and stopped here, us before. What? It never stopped us before. 
Right, exactly. Figured it out. Eric and Tristan, I mean, they were the ones, like you said, that that really made this happen. Tristan, I remember, you know, doing like garage band training with him back in whatever year that was. And now, of course, there are all these courses and tutorials about how to produce a podcast, but that didn't exist really when we were starting this. And, you know, we made a lot of mistakes, um, but it worked out and it's still going. So, <laughs> it, it's just so hard to believe that, you know, I was so lucky just to come into this at, at episode 172. Jay, all the work you've done, just the work you've done in producing this, having platforms and tools like Zencaster, which we use for the audio portion, makes this so much easier. So I, I stepped in yeah. and so much of the, you know, the heavy lifting had already been done by, by YouTube. Jess, I'm curious, as you look at the, the pantheon of these 300 episodes, how have the topics changed? How the things that, that we've spoken about on the shows changed? Has it gotten more strategic? Has it gotten more tactical? I, I agree with you that I think it's gotten more comfortable and casual as everybody's yeah. kind of gotten more comfortable with the microphone. But I'm curious from your point of listening to all of these episodes, what, what, what you find? Yeah, I mean, I think it's gotten more um, pointed. You know, in the beginning, it, social media was still uh, – it wasn't new, but there. I think this was one of the first social media podcasts. And so the topics were pretty high level, you know, like how do you engage with people online? And now it's like every episode is so specific and there's something there. Um, you know, each person is really more more specialized, I think, in what they're doing. And so that way they can go deeper into that particular topic. And I think that actually makes it more useful. And from a listener perspective, you know, if you look at something and you're like, well, I'm not a Snapchat person, so I'm not going to listen to that episode. But then the following week, it's Instagram or the, you know, or it's um, how to take your online connections offline. Or, you know, I think having it be more specific like that and having guests who are really focused on one particular element of their, of the whole social media landscape makes it more useful because you can get more actionable things out of each, you know, 45 minutes of conversation. Um, so that's been interesting because I, I wasn't, you know, <laughs> when I thought about it, I was like, how could you possibly have talked to 300 people about social media? <laughs> um, <laughs> some of the guests have been repeats and it's fun to hear those too, because every time a person comes on another time, they have something different to talk about. And yeah. that's a testament to the industry too. You know, it's changing so fast that it is important to have these people on more than once to get kind of their evolution their take on what's actually gone on in the last year or the last, you know, two years since they were originally a guest. So that's really yeah, I think they had Icon a couple of days ago. He, he had, had like, like, like five years between appearances, something like that. It's kind of crazy. It's like that's and five years is like a, a you know, a hundred years in social media time. Well, and to have the same job. I yeah. mean, almost right. nobody has the same job in social right. media for five years. It's it's pretty unusual. Jess, plug the book and then uh, we're gonna let you go. Okay. Um, my book is available uh, as of the this week, a couple days ago on Amazon. Um, if you search panic proof. 
Uh, you should be able to find it. And if you don't, let me know. Uh, and I hope, you know, it's all about how to use virtual assistants, but kind of how to get to the core of what you're best at and, and how to delegate, delegate the rest and how to find the right person to do that. And I, I know that there are a lot of books out there about virtual assistants, and I mentioned them in my book as well. But I think that if you can take the best out of all of them as you're creating your sort of delegation strategy, you'll be in, a, be in a really great place to, you know, build a life that you really love and that you're passionate about. So thank you. Well, you've certainly helped us build this show. Thank you for all the work, 300 episodes of production on this podcast. Yeah. Um, thank you. Really well, and it's it. not just me. It is my team at Don't Panic as well. So I have to give some credit to them. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. Thanks, See Jess. You. Thank you. Bye. Look who's here. It is hey guys. Mr. Hey. Randy Frisch. Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I feel like I see you all the time now. This is great. I know. Randy is the uh, co-founder of Uberflip, uh, a fantastic company that makes content marketing hubs. Uh, but Randy is also the co-host of our sister podcast, The Content Experience. Tell folks about how Uberflip uses social media most effectively. Sure. Um, I guess we've kind of seen a shift in terms of how we're using social. In fact, I, we sell the B2B marketers and we're a B2B org ourselves in terms of how we go to market. So I think there's been a big change from, if, you, if you'll humor me, going from having conversations on there all the time to actually using social to direct people to content that you actually have. Uh, maybe that's my content bias or the fact that I, I am, as you said, the uh, you know, founder of a content company, the co-host of a content-based podcast. But what we try and do most often is actually think about how do we get people off that channel, but use it as a way to to hook them at some point. To, to take them off that channel to go where? To go to their website, that's, to pick up the phone? That's a great question. I mean, I mean, what I think a lot of us have learned from social is how immersive it is, right? And the problem with that at the same time is that all these channels, let's just pick one, say LinkedIn, they're building our home feed to be essentially an infinite scroll of all the things that I may care about. So if I sit down for five minutes at the end of the day and I say to myself, I'm going to literally spend five minutes here, no, very quickly, minutes. that's 15, yeah, yeah, 10 if I'm lucky. It's like a potato chip. Yeah, exactly. you can never only eat one. True, true. Like Pringles. Pringles is yeah. probably the the worst for that because it's so long. You just start feeling bad as you as you go really deep. When your elbow to the end of the tube. <laughs> exactly. But so I, I think what a lot of us have realized is that as much as we can capture attention on social, if we don't keep that attention, then they're just going to go on to the next brand that's been recommended. So for us, what we try and help companies do is actually think about, okay, if we can hook them with a great piece of content and then link them to somewhere else that has that same infinite scroll immersive experience, but we're just emulating that on our own site. So to answer your question, Adam, it's how do we bring them to something that we can control Inside the uh, exactly. I mean, one of the, my favorite definitions of content marketing takes into the idea of owned content, right? So if we own it, let's try and own the visitor, own their path that they take. I like it. Randy, thanks so much for being part of the Content Experience Podcast. Make sure you download and subscribe to the show. It's spectacular. See you, buddy. Thanks. Take care. All right. Now we're going to keep this party started rolling 
with another one of our favorite people. He is the co-host of one of our other sister shows, The Experience This Show, a spectacular uh, audio program about content, about, uh, I should say, customer service and customer experience. It is Mr. Dan Genghis, who is also an author of a fantastic book on social media customer care. Mr. Genghis, how are you? I am doing great. Dan, you are, among other noteworthy accomplishments, one of the primary stars of my book, Hug Your Haters. Uh, your book on social care is spectacular as well, and we talk about social care a lot on this program. Tell us how your social care has changed over the last couple of years. Well, a couple of things. I think, first of all, uh, more brands have finally figured out that it's something they have to be doing. Uh, I think we saw that uh, this week, even with a brand new brand up on Twitter, Crockpot, after uh, after they uh, were referenced, unfortunately, uh, in a fictional fire on the show, This Is Us. Uh, but they did a great job of, of showing up immediately and engaging with people. And so better late than never. But I think uh, you're seeing a lot more brands do it. Um, and then I think obviously the other big change is the move to messaging. And what I really love about that is I think it is a win-win for brands and for customers. Um, brands obviously love it because it takes some of the negativity out of the public light and brings it into a more private channel. Uh, that's also easier to engage with just because you're not limited to 240 or 280 characters, excuse me. Um, and, uh, and you know, you just have a little bit more freedom to write what you want. Customers really like it because it's an easy back and forth. Um, it resolves the biggest pain point of not having to repeat your problem because your entire history is saved forever. Uh, and, in terms of your engagement with the brand. So I think that's going to be a trend that's going to continue um, really hot and heavy. And I think it's, like I said, I think it's a win-win. It's also nice for uh, training because it, once you teach agents how to deal with uh, live chat on a website or, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger and Twitter DM, you know, they basically, I think there will be a time where agents won't even need to know what channel they're on because the underlying technology will all look the same. I know, Dan, one of the things you talk about on the show is this idea of, of customer experience. If it's not no, no longer just customer service, but customer experience. And I'm curious, even with what you're talking about, this idea that when you do interact with a the brand, they know who you are, they know the issues or challenges that you've had in the past, and maybe that can help you not have to repeat yourself and make the experience that much better. Talk about it as in a bigger picture, this idea of what customer experience is and how it's more than just that tweet or that message. It's your whole, from you stepping into a physical location to your virtual experience, to packaging, to everything. That's really, I think, an interesting kind of concept that, that fascinates me at least. Absolutely. In fact, that is the entire basis for our podcast, Experience This. Nice segue, and, Adam. <laughs> thank you, Adam. Uh, and so- Exactly. You've gotten good at this. So I look at customer experience as every single interaction that a consumer has with a brand. And that can be an in-person physical interaction. It can be a digital interaction. It could be on the telephone. It could be an email. It could be on social. And one of the challenges, of course, that companies have is that a hundred different people own a hundred different interactions with the with the customer from the company perspective, but as a customer, we look at it really as as a single interaction that we're having with a company across multiple channels, and so therein lies the 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 challenge. But the the change to me is that is that customers today are looking to have an experience with a brand and a relationship with a brand 
not just when they have a problem, right? So we've been talking a lot about social care. When I've got a complaint, then I need somebody to hug me and to help answer my questions. But I think that that, that consumers now are enjoying the fact, and social has given them this power, that they can have a relationship with their with the brand in the good times as well. And, and so the brands that are figuring out how to have fun with their consumers, have, how to have an actual relationship, a human relationship with them over social and other channels, I think are the ones that are doing it really, really well. Um, and, and, you know, even if that relationship starts offline, um, oftentimes those things end up coming online. And that's one of the things that's been fascinating me in the last six to 12 months is looking at the things that start in an offline channel and the reasons why people decide to bring them online to, um, to talk about them and to share them. Uh, and it's usually when an experience has been either particularly good or particularly bad. That's the kind of insight you can get on the experience of this show. New episodes every single Tuesday. Dan Gingis and Joey Coleman, who we'll talk to here in just a minute. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the show, absolutely great. Wherever you get your podcast, sponsored by our friends at Oracle CX. Dan, great job on the show. Always fantastic to see you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, guys. Always good to see you. And uh, congratulations again, 300. We can only all hope to join you someday. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. All right. See you. All right, now we're bringing in somebody who we haven't talked to for a while, but is truly one of my favorite people, an incredibly smart man, and also a famous jazz trumpeter. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I don't think you were on the show when we had him on the show as a guest. It is Nick Cicero. <laughs> hey, how's it going? My friend, how are you? I'm doing all right. Congratulations on 300 episodes, man. Thank you. When we were doing the show with Jeff Roars uh, and also Zena Weiss, who unfortunately couldn't make it today, she had to bow out at the last minute. Nick was on the show for many of those episodes as a special contributor, would bring cool social media ideas and examples to the show in a slightly different format back then. And now Nick is like genius, like <laughs> famous, like blowing up everywhere digital superstar like tell us tell us exactly what you're doing now it's amazing yeah um so i started a company a couple of years ago now in 2014 called del mondo and we're a social video and audience analytics platform and so what we've done is we started off kind of being known for building the first analytics for snapchat uh, and then saw a huge uh, gap in measuring audience consuming video, especially as television was on the, the decline and is now. So, um, so we've really expanded and ended up kind of creating the first analytics for Facebook Live, but now I've really expanded all of those platforms. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram stories, YouTube. Um, and this year we're adding all first party and OTT video platforms too. Oh, so wow. being able to kind of really measure your unified view of audience and video across all of these different screens and devices. Where is all this going, Nick? I mean, I think all of us can remember and harken back to even when, when Jay was starting the show you know, nearly a decade ago, we were, we were following followers. We were following and using likes. We were using those as real analytics to measure performance. Of course, we now know those numbers met a hill of beans. So where do you see the industry going now, Nick? What, what are those you know, attributions, what are those analytics that are more meaningful to a chief marketing officer, a chief communications officer? Obviously, attributable sales is a big one, but 
what else, what else is in there and what else are we trying to connect and what are you connecting in your organization? Yeah, you know, I think that what we have really focused on is trying to measure audiences and, and who they are, where they live, what they're watching. And so I think a lot of people certainly can try to, to connect the value and direct value. And there's a lot of uh, pieces in between that puzzle. But there's a lot of insight about the the amount of time that we spend on all these platforms. So if you think about the kind of growth of social analytics, you mentioned before, kind of V1 was our vanity metric phase. Like, oh, I got a, a bunch of likes on this post and, and I made all these posts every day. And we started to get more individual and social listening that helped us listen for signals that people were talking about. Uh, but now since a lot of the social platforms have really changed and honestly become a lot of visual uh, video platforms, right? So majority of the content that is the highest performing on a lot of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagrams of the world, it's all video. And whilst people are certainly creating and tweeting and commenting and reacting, um, openly and to their friends, the content and the signals that they're sending off have really changed. And so there's a lot more that we can learn about people based on what they're watching, how long they're watching for, and the different patterns and trends that emerge. Um, so while we certainly make it really easy for you to kind of see a, a unified view of all of your social media accounts and surface the videos and, and cool things like that that you'd expect from a social reporting platform, what we've actually done is add a lot of automation in terms of categorizing and textualizing all of the different pieces of, of content inside of your videos, the different terms inside of the copy that you're using and be able to roll those up to measure different types of audiences against one another. So I like to think of uh, one of our clients like uh, a Lowe's, for example, from a brand side, you know, they're producing a lot of different types of videos and some of the videos might be all about DIY and some of the videos might be all about kind of promotional and others might be about customer support or community engagement. And even more so today, probably now than ever before, those themes resonate differently to different types of people. And so while we put the same amount of content through the same pipes every single day, instead of just measuring a piece at a time, we really help companies think more about, you know, how do all of the DIY projects perform in social? Who are the audiences that are watching those videos? And then how is that translating to the audiences that are buying the products essentially, or watching my commercials on television um, and mapping those up if you're a brand? Um, there's obviously a whole nother world if you are a media company, which sure. is really just about trying to understand who and what is watching on all of these different places and, and then monetize as well. So a lot of the media companies are looking to change the revenue and not just selling against, let's say, like display advertising or even programmatic. There's a, a whole debate about whether that is valuable or not. So more advertisers are looking for branded content and content that can be created and live organically on, you know, a media company's website or social with influencers or publishers. But they don't just, once again, want to measure the vanity metrics. They want to know, okay, great, who are the audiences from these partners that I'm working with that are now reaching this branded content so I can use that in my marketing too. So I think a lot of it is intelligence gathering right now that's probably more advanced I think than than certainly when we started and I I'm I'm 30 30 but feel like an old guy in the space and to hear that you guys are at 300 episodes to think that I was a host back when I was you know working with with Xbeon, you know a lot has changed and and the platforms have changed a lot and I think it's really interesting, you know, to see now just so just how much more people are spending on their phones, on the computer watching content than when I first even started working. Yeah. 
I mean, video was still sort of an edge case back then, right? And now it's the the whole thing. I want to ask you about the announcement this week from Snapchat about allowing uh, people to export content out of Snapchat, sort of breaking down that walled garden approach. You're really close to those guys. What, what do you make of that move? Yeah, you know, I think that the announcement is really around official stories, I believe, Discover Stories and others. Uh, you know, we work with a lot of really great partners, uh, some of their top brands. MTV is is one of our best customers, and we measure all of their Snapchat and Snapchat Discover insights. And I think that for getting discoverability outside of Snapchat, it'll be really, really powerful because there is a lot of really great content, and a lot of people have ripped it off and put it onto other platforms anyways, or, you know, influencers that now have official profiles on Snapchat would often like download their stories and upload them to Instagram. So if they're able to actually share links or send it people from outside of the web into their stories, which they can do now, they can actually bring more people inside of Snapchat the same way that you'll cross post your Instagram story. And I think that that is going to bring more people in, which Snapchat has never really broken that wall. And, yep. and we'll see how that goes. What do you make of V2 that you, um, New oh, the Vine is probably the easiest way to describe that. Ah. You're going to call it V2. Do you think there's still room in the market for, uh, you know, six second looping clips, or, or do you think that time has passed? I think that. Well, I, I think that there's always room for a great brand because when somebody would have said Snapchat when I was getting started, they're like, oh, is Snapchat going to last? And I, and it was always a joke for the first year that Del Mondo was a company, right? And everybody's like, oh, that Snapchat thing, that Snapchat thing. And now today it's certainly, you know, competing with the other platforms and they've, they've been able to sustain regardless of kind of the stock price, but you know, they have been able to maintain and grow a pretty large user base uh, in a short period of time. So I think that Vine, you know, when I started, we were working with a lot of Vine stars and we actually had Vine analytics in our platform with Snapchat as one of the first because it was really easy to measure. Um, so I think that there is a, a real appetite for that. And although Instagram certainly can get the lion's share of video consumption, there is something about the format and, and the community of Vine. And I know that the Vine stars themselves are, are certainly hungry for it. And Instagram was always so much bigger to start with. So kind of suppressed any natural growth that I do think Vine could have had. And, you know, I also think that Twitter maybe might have mismanaged it a little bit and and could have nurtured that a little bit more the same way that they're doing with Periscope. They would have a really nice ecosystem now between the three, in my opinion. Yeah, it's almost it feels like Twitter's management of Vine is similar to Yahoo's management of Tumblr. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just sort of like, yeah, we bought this cool thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. What do we do with it? Yeah, it just really never added anything to it or took their eye off the ball or wasn't a priority or the revenue impact wasn't big enough to really worry about it. Uh, yeah. you know, I'd like to be able to buy something for a billion dollars in Tumblr's case and then not and then not worry about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, even in the last few weeks, you've seen that Twitter has started putting public view counts on their videos. <laughs> and that's something that they had never done in the past. And now they're doing that for everybody, the, the big and the small, the same way that Vine was doing. So yeah. I don't know. I think that that... If, and I think that if they had integrated Periscope so much and they didn't and they killed the brand off the way that they killed Vine and said, oh, this is Twitter and this is all of our stuff now. I don't think it would the Vine community would feel as bad. But right. the fact that they like kept Periscope going is kind of a slap in the face to the to the Vine community. So I do think there's room for somebody to to come in. Yeah. Nick, we're going to be back on the show at some point and like talk more at length about what's going on with video, if you don't mind. We'll, uh, we'll have we'll have Jess reach out and uh, get you back on. It's been a while since we had you on the show. We'd love to catch yeah. up. I'd love to.
Until then, my friend, thanks for taking the time. Great to see you. Congratulations on all the success at Del Mondo. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are a large brand that cares about your video in social, you obviously do if you are a large brand. There's really literally nobody else to talk to other than Del Mondo. Uh, and that's a good thing because they are killing it. That's the place to go for video analytics. Talk to Nick and his guys. See you soon. Thanks, Nick. Thanks guys. Congrats again. Take Thanks, care. buddy. All right. We're there. This is this is our last guest. Bottom of the night, full count day. on 300. Uh, the 300th episode anniversary reunion tour celebration. And I cleverly, some would say strategically, set this up. So our last guest is a wild man. He is a recovering attorney. He is the co-host of the experience of this show with Dan Gittes, who we saw a few minutes he is the one the owned mr joey Coleman. thank you gentlemen joey is uh, also a customer experience consultant a fantastic keynote speaker in fact i'm going to see you in just a few days he yes, and i are doing a, an event together on uh, tuesday uh, in toronto ironically we were just talking about toronto when randy was on a few minutes ago uh, and joey is a forthcoming author plug the book I, I am a forthcoming author. I'm super excited because the book is almost done. Uh, I have about 48 hours more when I can touch it. Uh, the book comes out in April. It's called Never Lose a Customer Again. And it's all about creating an awesome onboarding experience so that you can turn those one-time customers into customers for life. It's such an amazing premise. I've seen you uh, talk about it on stage, and, and we've had conversations about your methodology, this idea that the first 100 days of any customer relationship essentially dictates the entirety of the relationship. Tell the audience a little bit about why that's true, why that snapshot in time is disproportionate. Yeah. So the research on this is absolutely incredible and it cuts across all industries. And what the research shows is that depending on your industry, somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will decide to quit doing business with you before the 100 day anniversary. 20 to 70% wow. are leaving out the back door as quickly as we bring them in the front door. And the crazy thing is most companies not only aren't doing anything to address this, but they have no idea what percentage of their customers are actually leaving. And so when we start to look at it and they realize, oh my gosh, we're spending all this time, money, and effort on acquisition, filling the funnel, driving clicks and conversions, to then not be able to actually maximize their returns, they're actually losing money on every new customer they acquire, and it causes huge it causes huge problems. What's really cool is the research also shows that if you can get a customer today 101, in the typical business, they'll stay for five years. So this time period is absolutely insane in terms of the impact it has on lifetime value. And if you get the onboarding experience right in those first 100 days, you cement the relationship, you build loyal fans, you build zealous advocates, and your business really can go in the direction you want it to go instead of hemorrhaging out the back. I mean, it, fascinating. Two, two points on this. One point, one question. One sure. point is... Why the hell has nobody ever thought of this before? We have talked for decades about the first 100 days of an employee and employee right, president and the likes. Right. But we never talk about that as, as a customer. Uh, so that's interesting. Number two, I, I, I remarked this uh, down the street from, from where I live. Uh, we had a new filling station open up. And the first day I'm in there and every day since then, they've subsequently been asking me to become a member of their 
plenty program or whatever it is, some loyalty right. program. And it drives me nuts because I'm like, I haven't even gotten to know you guys yet. Right. So my question is, when is the right time to ask for that relationship? You know, to say, hey, I want you to become a loyal next time customer. Is it right after that first one or do you need to see other triggers or tells? Yeah, you definitely need to wait, Adam. And this is probably the most common mistake I see with companies asking for referrals is they ask too early. I liken this stuff to dating. Imagine you go on a first date with someone. You have an incredible dinner. It's a fabulous meal. The conversation is flowing. Everything's feeling good. And you take them home at the end of the night to their house and you're standing on the doorstep and you say, hey, I had a great time tonight. What about you? They say, yeah, I did. You say, awesome. Can we do this again next week. And they say, yeah, I'd love to. You say, fantastic. By the way, you mentioned over dinner that you have two roommates. My gut instinct is they are of a similar demographic of you, similar age, gender, etc. Um, would you be willing to give me their contact information? Because if you liked me, chances are that they will like me just as much. Let's make this happen. You'd get slapped on the front step. And yet that's how most businesses operate. As soon as they're in the like, we're just getting the date started. Next thing you know, we're asking for referrals. We're asking for loyalty. We're asking for a commitment. It's, it's like asking somebody to marry you before you've ordered dessert on the first date. Not usually a recipe for success. So I always say, if you wouldn't do it in your personal life, why are we doing it in our professional lives, right? We need to wait. The trigger you're looking for is anytime someone does business with you, they have a goal in mind that they're trying to accomplish. This is one of the eight phases I talk about in the book, the phase of accomplishment, where they actually achieve the goal that they had from day one when they first said, I want to hire you to do my taxes, to record my video, to paint my house, whatever it is, they had a goal. You can't ask for a referral until they accomplish the goal, mm. period. Good it's one. that simple. You just have to wait. Wait until they accomplish the goal. Now, some of you that work in larger enterprise businesses may say, well, you know, their goal is to increase sales, and that's kind of hard to tell. Well, you know what? It's your job to ask them, well, by what number would we start to feel good about this? If we increase sales by 10%, do you feel good, or does it have to be 20? Because if the answer is 20 and you think 10 is the accomplishment, and you start asking for new business at the 10% increase, even though you've done wonderful things for their business, they don't feel accomplished. And if they don't feel accomplished, they're not going to become an advocate. Do you feel like you have to overtly ask for that advocacy? Or if you've hit that threshold, will they take it upon themselves to advocate on your behalf? I think nine times out of 10, they'll actually advocate on your behalf. You don't even have to ask for it. What you do need to do is remind them that they've accomplished the goal. That's what they forget. They forget what the original goal was. They change it. So you don't have to say, give me more business. You just say, hey, by the way, remember that first date we were on and you said the goal was to get to a third date? Guess what? It's the third date. Oh, my gosh, it's amazing. Do, do, do. Now you get to have a fourth one. Right. So it's all about making sure that they you have to know what the goal is they're trying to accomplish. And then you have to feed it back to them when they actually achieve that goal. Not because they're being obtuse or they're trying to avoid you or, or be difficult. They just forget. They get into it and they get caught up with other things. All of us in business have a tendency to think that our customers, that they're spending this huge amount of time thinking about us. They're not. 
they have other things going on in their life. Yeah. They, you know, the heater's not working. The, the kid's getting bad grades in school. The relationship with their spouse is on the rocks. They haven't called their mom when they were supposed to. They've got all these other things that are contributing. And we have a tendency as business people to think, well, surely they've been thinking all about our project and how it's going. No. The only time they think about the project usually is when we're in front of them, whether that's through an email or a phone call or a face-to-face -face interaction. So, Cut them some slack and recognize that, yeah, they need to be reminded from time to time about what the process is and what the goal we're trying to accomplish is. Yeah, that partial attention issue is really prominent, I think, in social media, because you have people who work in social media in companies, i.e. the guests on this show, typically, they're doing social all the time. That is their world. And I think sometimes you fall into this sort of myopia where you think, well, social is the entire marketing and communications infrastructure for this company. And you sort of lose sight of the fact, well, we're also doing email and we're doing print and we're doing telephone and we're doing an events strategy. Like social is like a tiny little piece of the entirety of the marketing and communications program in most companies. And it's easy to forget that when all you're thinking about every day is social media. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and you know, my opinions on social media, Jay, I, I'm, I'm not really shy about them. I'm we the guy who, show, yeah, I, 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 it's weird that we're ending on me. It's like, we saved the best for last. No, we, we saved we the, the skeptic on last. We saved the skeptic for last who has like seven followers on Twitter and only people he's actually met as friends on Facebook and things like that. Yeah. I mean, here's the deal. We have a tendency and this applies to every business, whether you are a lawyer, a doctor, a bottle washer. I don't care who you are, what your job is. You see the world from your lens and social media folks have a tendency to see the world from the lens of social media that everybody's on social media all the time. Go hang out at a you know, uh, a diner or in a retail establishment somewhere in a town with less than 25,000 people. And you will see that not everybody is on their phone tweeting. Not everybody is liking stuff, right? And we, we, I think many of us, I'll speak for myself, has have this because of the circles we run in, we create this belief that, oh, well, everybody's doing this and they're doing it all the time. No, they're not. I mean, so I think that's something everybody that's in social media could stand to remember that like, yeah, there is a group of your customers that are really immersed in this stuff, but I guarantee there are huge swaths of your customers that aren't even on these platforms, yeah, let alone communicating with you. Thanks for uh, being here, my friend. Thanks, guys. It was my pleasure. Congrats on the 300th episode, and thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Alrighty. Adam, we did it. Well, my friend, we did. We absolutely accomplished it. This has what been a such a, a, yeah, what a great time. Thank you so much for uh, hanging in there and being such a huge, huge, important part of the show. Thanks to Jess and the team of Don't Panic Management and all of our guests like many, many, many years. And of course, we've got you know lots more coming up. We're not stopping at 300. Uh, the, train is, uh, the train is moving. Thank you for letting me do this. Keep on rolling. Catch you next week. Now, I can't wait to be doing the show again wearing a robe instead of having to like wear a sport coat every time. <laughs> no more dress up. Yeah. Yeah. Back to audio. Thanks, everybody. See you soon. See you, everyone. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert. Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext, and is produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.